KG, and this is not safe for networks. Montucky Skies. Today we're going to talk about The Stand, Zombieland 2, John Cryer is Lex Luthor, and then we're going to hit all sorts of other shit. But first, let's go to Super Bowl prop bets. I'm Biggs. I have a crippling addiction to Oscar movies. <laughs> I'm Brandon, and I'm going to see uh, where you really stand and oh. put your monies with <laughs> where your mouth is. I see what you did there. That right. was totally unintentional. <laughs> <laughs> So we don't usually talk about sports, but we do cover some Super Bowl prop bets every year because we like to keep it interesting. I don't watch football anymore, but I always get sucked into the Super Bowl for whatever reason. So I, I can't see this year going any different. Yeah, and I am so not in like really interested in the Super Bowl. I like looking at prop bets, but not not the typical like ones that are sort of related, like who's gonna kick the longest field goal or who's gonna be the MVP. That that shit bores me to death. Yeah, Brandon and I have a tradition going back probably like 10 years now where we pick five prop bets between the two of us and then we bet a dollar on each one and it's like nobody really cares ultimately how much money you win but it's it makes the game fun to watch because we put something on we gamble on stupid shit like color of Gatorade and stuff (laughs) like that (laughs) so what do we got how many times will Donald Trump tweet during the Super Bowl? During the Super Bowl. Do they give an over-under? Yeah, they got an over-under line. I, I want to see where you guess where the over-under line is on this. Okay. All right. Where the over-under line is. I'm going to say two and a half. Nine and a half. Wow. <laughs> is the line. Dude, I'm going to go under. It's plus 270 for over. So you're on the, the majority side of that. Okay. Got it. I'm going to go with under as well on this one. Yeah. I think think he's gonna tweet but nine and a half seems like a lot that seems like a lot like and i don't feel like he tweets when more he than goes like in a tweet storm a like when he because like when he goes on a tweet storm like sunday morning is like his his tweeting hours it's like six yeah i i just see that as being way too much yeah staying on the trump train whether or not a field goal is made that is higher than trump's approval rating monday morning what does it, do we know about what is approval rating is right now i thought it was like 39 percent or 39 okay and what one more time what is it if somebody kicks a field goal longer than his approval rating mm, i'm gonna say no because people tend to get riskier in the super bowl and go for things I, I think they get afraid to take the really long field goals you know i would say that i would take that a field goal is longer okay so we disagree on this one you want to bet should we go a dollar on this one yeah okay let's see uh whether at, uh, singer Adam Levine or Travis Scott will be shirtless at any time during the halftime I don't know either of these people. Adam Levine's the lead singer for uh, Maroon 5 who's doing the, the show. Yeah, I've heard of Maroon 5. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think it's going to be? Uh, I'm going to say not taking his shirt off. Okay. And that one is a long bet because it's <laughs> plus one eight, or 1,862. So if he keeps his shirt on, you lose? You would have to. The way I remember is if you bet 100 plus whatever the thing is, you would gain $100. Okay. I'll, I'll bet he keeps his shirt on just for the sake of keeping yeah. this interesting. This one's kind of interesting whether or not... A SpongeBob inflatable will be used during the halftime show in tribute to Steven Hillenburg. I'm going to say no. I don't think it will. That doesn't seem like a Super Bowl thing to me. Now, see, I'm actually going to be betting yes on this one and it's actually a plus 500 for yes. So the odds are against that being, but 
the two things that went for it is there was a uh, change.org petition and I signed it to get the uh, SpongeBob song. Uh, oh, they did like a Super Bowl episode where they had to perform at like the halftime of the Super Bowl and they fucking killed it. And so they wanted to have that song played during the Super Bowl as a tribute and they got millions of freaking signatures for it. And then I'm still going to say no. I don't think the it's other thing happen. was is. Um, Maroon 5 put out a little teaser for their halftime show, and SpongeBob is shown in it. I'm still going to say no. <laughs> I don't think SpongeBob shows up. Um, let's see. I think that was the main ones I could find that are not. Oh, uh, so we got our usual national anthem bet. Yeah, and I that wasn't in this article I had. Oh, okay. Um, it's it's a long one because it's uh, I'm trying to remember who was Pavarotti singing it. <laughs> no, it's a soul singer. Oh, what is it? Oh, it's a uh, Gladys Knight is singing. Do we know what the over under is? Well, we can do this later. Yeah. Off air, probably. All right, yeah. so we got a couple bets going here. We'll round it out to our <laughs> usual five later. So moving on, speaking of songs. So this is the one little Oscar piece I have. And then at the end of the episode, to not bore Brandon, I pre-recorded <laughs> my reviews of Oscar movies and Glass. So I reported last week that they were only going to do two songs for the Oscars because that's what they said. They changed it now because the artists went with an all or nothing stand. Like they all said they wouldn't do it unless they did all five songs. So they're doing all five songs for the Oscars, but they're going to limit them to 90 seconds a song. So good. This works for me. This totally works for me. My whole thing is like, don't spend so fucking long on the on the music at the Oscars. Yeah. That's how I always feel. There are three songs that actually are really good that I know of going into the Oscars, but I don't want to spend the whole time watching them. I want to watch awards. You know what I mean? Yeah. I always feel like they waste too much time with the other stuff, so that's happening. It'll be fun to watch like what they do with Buster Skaggs, I think. Because <laughs> that, that song got entered, so. Yeah, it's up for best song so one of the things i learned today so my wife and daughter were watching the mass singer mm -hmm. and one of the the mass singers was uh tommy chong <laughs> and that show is terrible by the way yeah i'm sure it is <laughs> <laughs> um but it was funny because uh i learned at the end of the episode and it's probably one of those things i knew but it just relearned tommy chong has a grammy is it for one of the Cheech and Chong albums? I'm sure it was because it was 1974. So. Yeah, it was probably like for best comedy <laughs> album or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was a com it, best comedy album. Someone to set a pit for me at the free throw line of life. Someone I could pass to. Someone to hit the open man on to give him go. And not end up in the popcorn machine. So chill it. But I didn't, like, know he had, had some hardware. Yeah, that's kind of sweet. I wonder if he can get into the EGOT conversation. They love handing those out now, man. <laughs> There's been four handed out in the last calendar year, like, where, where they completed the EGOT, so. Yeah, you know, John Legend, Legend had completed his. Yeah, some was, other people. There yeah. are some other famous people I can't remember. I remember when that was a really exclusive club. It's still pretty exclusive, but it's getting less exclusive as time goes on. Cause it's like 18 people that have done it now. But like five or six of them in the last couple of years. So, you know, yeah. like people get so excited by the EGOT. It's almost like they're like, well, he's got three. All right, let's hand him a Tony for something. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Have you heard of the horror movie, The Prodigy, that's coming out? No. So this is a movie, it's it's your Be Afraid of Your Kid movie, oh one God. of those, right? But this one is, it's supposed to be a kid who's like really smart, but just suddenly like 
I don't know, becomes a murderer or something. Like, I've seen a couple of commercials for it. It, it seems like it's like The Good Son or, or any of those movies. But I love the way they went to promote this, okay? So they had a screening at the Alamo Draft House for it, but it was just pregnant women in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> oh god the the director said given the theme of our movie i fully expect every one of these women to give up their children for adoption and then turn their life's mission of providing contraception to women and men everywhere <laughs> <laughs> and apparently one of the women walked out of the screening and they asked her they asked her about the movie and she went fuck that movie and that was all she said so. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Apparently the lines at the bathroom were huge in the mm-hmm. middle of the movie, too. <laughs> Anybody who's, like, been in proximity to a pregnant woman or has been pregnant knows why. <laughs> um, something else I, I was looking at kind of in the horror vein there is uh, they're making a Chucky TV series. Yeah. This is a thing that's happening. It was picked up by sci-fi. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, it seems like a natural landing place for it, right? Well, and I have been watching that show that was on sci-fi face-off that does the Hollywood makeup. Okay. Like horror and all that stuff. They just took it off Hulu today. And the last season we watched, the second to last episode, the guest judge was the creator of Chucky. Yeah, so that would be Dan Mancini. That's correct. Who is uh, also producing this show with David Kirshner, who's produced, like those who have produced all the Child's Play movies and all the Chucky movies. They got Brad Dorif doing the voice again, who's always done the voice of Chucky. And it's said that it's going to be eight one-hour episodes and keep continuity with the movies. So that should make the fans happy. Are they going to bring in Jennifer Connelly? Not known. I don't know. Is she still alive in the movies? I don't know. Because they just kept making them. <laughs> I have seen like maybe four of the Child's Play movies. I've seen the first three. I haven't seen anything from Bride of Chucky 4. I saw parts of Bride of Chucky and thought, maybe I'll watch this. And then it just seemed so silly. I was like, I don't know. Like the Child's Play movies were like something I was like obsessed with when I was a kid. And then when I was an adult, I was like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember watching the first couple of them back around when they came out. They, I mean, they still made them, but I was like, grew out of that. Yeah, dude. They're still making them. They, they made like, them when we were very they, little, and they're still making them. And then they started like uh, Bride of Chucky, the Seed of Chucky. Right. And, and there was there's another more, one I don't remember. There's a couple more after that. Yeah, that's crazy, dude. <laughs> and it's like, uh, and I remember I watched Bride of Chucky, and I think I watched the Seed of Chucky, and I was like, I'm done with this shit. Like, I, I watched the Bride of Chucky because I do like Jennifer Connelly. Oh, it's not Jennifer Connelly. Not Connelly, Ah, uh, she was in Bound with Gina uh, Gershon. Uh, Jennifer Tilly. Tilly, that's yeah. it. Because she has a very distinct voice. Like, yes. if you know Jennifer Tilly, you know right away when you see that female doll. Well, she actually, because they actually, I think, showed, like, her becoming the doll or whatever. So, like, she was actually live action for part of that. Right. Some more on the horror tip here. So, Zombieland 2 just put out their posters. And I don't have a lot on this except for uh, they're calling it Zombieland Double Tap is going to be the name of the movie. Awesome. Yeah, it's built into the first one. It's it's fucking natural for the title. And then I also read that Rosario Dawson is going to be in the cast. So Awesome. Yeah, it's I a love pretty good pull. Rosario Dawson. Yeah, she's awesome. She doesn't do enough anymore, especially now that the Marvel Netflix shows are going away. And then probably the last thing in the horror vein is The Stand was ordered to series on CBS All Access. We'll have 10 episodes. They'll be written, produced, and directed by Josh Boone, who did all the Fault in the stars like some other movies i don't didn't really recognize the titles uh but i loved what he said about it i read the stand under my bed when i was 12 and my baptist parents burned it in our fireplace upon discovery incensed i stole my dad's fedex account number and mailed king a letter professing my love for his work several weeks later i came home to find a box that had arrived from maine and inside were several books each inscribed with a beautiful note from god himself who encouraged me and writing and thanked me for being a fan my parents genuinely moved by king's kindness and generosity 
lifted the ban on his books that very day. I wrote a King cameo as himself in my first film and have been working to bring the stand to the screen for five years. That's pretty awesome, dude. The guy's like yeah. a big fan. This is like the Stephen King renaissance right now. Uh, and there's no better way to celebrate King than to go back to his classic works. And the stand is fucking, it was a great book. Great uh, book. Not a great miniseries. No. I'm going to get you. You and your stupid freak friend, I'm going to get both of you guys. <laughs> and I think they need 10 episodes minimum to even begin to get the breath of that book. This said it went to series, which I take it as it's not a mini series. No, it's a 10 episode limited series. Is that what you read? Yeah. Okay, the thing I read didn't didn't clarify on it. So No, it's definitely a a one series event. Okay. I was going to say if they do go beyond the stand, there's probably a lot of fertile ground there, but that's cool. Like I just I I think you're right that like 10 hours, that feels like long enough to like cover the stand. You need a lot to cover the stand. There's so much in that story and it's so great, but I mean Did they, you read the original version or the uh the, the pumped up version. The pumped up version. Yeah, me too. So I don't even know what like the original version looks like, but I know the version I read was so many pages. It was like 2,000 pages. No, it wasn't that. It was only 1,300 something. Okay. Well, because I know I read it in only, high school. <laughs> I read it in high school, but the, the class I was taking was in speed reading. Uh-huh. And so you, uh, you had to read so many pages throughout the semester. And it was like you had to read 1,200 pages worth of stuff. And then like, so if you read like four 300-page books, you had to do four different reports. So I just read The, the Stand, stand. <laughs> so and great. did one report. There's two parts to The Stand. The first part is, and this, is, this isn't spoiling anything. No. But the first part is there's this flu that's going around that they call the super flu. And it basically kills almost everybody on Earth. Just like a handful of people are left. That's your first part. The second part is they're all gathering together for an apocalypse where they're like facing each other, right? Like you have the yeah. good people and the evil people sort of lining up. Uh, I was in the thick of the super flu stuff and I got this really bad flu and I was oh, really God. sick. <laughs> I, I remember is when I was living out on my own when I was like 17. I had to work at five in the morning. And I was super fucking sick. And I remember like waking up in the morning and just being like so fucking dazed and like out of my mind. And uh, I went walking to work and I was just like, fuck this shit. I got the fucking super flu and they're calling me out anyway. I don't even know why I'm fucking showing up to work. I'm going to fucking die anyway. And like I probably went like 20 minutes on my walk to work thinking this. And then I was like, what the fuck am I thinking? That's all from a book. Like I thought it was real life because I was so fucking just sick and like fevered and just not thinking straight and sleep deprived that i somehow incorporated the stand in with my real life <laughs> scary dude <laughs> so i learned firsthand the stand is not a world i would want to live in <laughs> no so it's time for a little wild speculation okay who would you cast in this man i'm trying uh, to let's remember start the with characters. randall flag okay randall flag so the ultimate evil guy uh Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> we already saw him. It's, it's the same guy in the Dark Tower. All right, all right, all right. Now, Matthew McConaughey got his chance. So I'm going to say no one. Although he would totally work. I've already seen it. So Because, you know, the, the RFs. Yeah. Like all the books where it's an RF, it's it's the same character. Yeah. We we did a whole episode on this back in the montagueskies.blogspot.com. If you go back, check out any of our old episodes. We have the cover of the stand on one of them. I always suck at this game. This is where, like, having Zach was great. Yeah. <laughs> like, Zach is always, like, so fast on, like, coming up with people. All right, I got it. I got it. You know who hasn't done a villain part for a while who needs to? Willem Dafoe. He could be very creepy. Yeah. I'm just assuming they're going to go big time on this, even though it's CBS All Access, so they won't. But <laughs> yeah. I don't want to. What's the fun in, like, naming TV names? You know what I mean? Like, some. Because ultimately, what they're probably going to do is come up with a bunch of actors who you've never seen before, or some that you're like, oh, yeah, they were in that show, but you don't know their name. Yeah. So I'm just going to go big time. Yeah, I'll say Willem Dafoe is Randall Flagg. Or maybe Steve Buscemi. That'd be interesting. You know who would be great? Who? The guy from Deadwood. Uh, 
Uh, Ian McShane? Ian McShane. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I would like to see Ian McShane. What about the douchebag musician guy? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the guy who's like a musician and then he winds up sleeping with an older woman. I think he winds up sacrificing himself at some point. You don't remember this guy at all? And now, by request from Bay Ridge, Larry Underwood, and Baby, can you dig your man? Well, Baby, can you? And I'm still watching Deadwood, so... Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to use the Deadwood cast to, like, cast <laughs> The special I mean, guy. they're going to be out the of special work guy soon I'm now, have after the movie's done. <laughs> yeah. The special guy I'm going to have played by Daryl. You know, I'm Daryl. This is my other brother. I'm Larry. <laughs> Sorry, Larry. I'm Larry. This is my brother, Daryl. He's going to be Darryl. the crazy bomber guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got any other characters you want to hit there? Um, how about the really dumb, dumb guy? Yeah, that's who I was talking about. Oh, no. I'm saying that that guy, he needs to be the crazy bomber. He was uh, really skinny, like just crazy like ends up blowing up erie in indiana like the whole uh oil refinery okay so what about benicio del toro but keep his tick from the last jedi (laughs) (laughs) it works right (laughs) is that the guy who drinks coors light all the time and goes on and on about the silver bullet cans and stuff i think it is we're, we're from, just going to assume it is. In the book. They had some guy who's like spent so many pages talking about how much he loves Coors Light. And he just like looks for Coors Light days, day and night. I don't know if you're thinking of the, the same guy I am. Oh. Dude, I have not read this for 22, 23 years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I read it in fall of 96, so... That's been how long it's been since I've read it. It's probably around that time. I feel like we were reading it about the same time. Yeah. I might have even gotten your book, actually. That's probably how I got the book. I bet you, like, kicked me the book. Because we used to do that a lot. Like, we'd read something and just kick it to the other person. Yeah. I bet that's what happened. Because we, shit, dude, we read a lot of Stephen King, man. We yeah. probably kicked the book to each other, I bet. I bet you, like, I bet I read your copy. <laughs> or you read my copy, one of the two. Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> what is this about this this hatchet being buried? <laughs> so there's been this uh, a joking feud between uh, uh, Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds. I remember they had the thing with the Christmas sweater where like they were doing an ugly Christmas sweater party. They were tricking Ryan Reynolds. And he's the only one that showed up with the ugly sw- Christmas sweater. Yeah, and Hugh Jackman and... Who was the other one? Was it Chris Pine were laughing no, at him? No, it was, uh, I think it was Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And they're laughing at him for wearing the ugly Christmas sweater. Whenever one of them has a birthday, they always spam their uh, Twitter account with just bullshit. Ryan Reynolds officially buried the hatchet. And he wrote on Twitter, as a gesture of goodwill, I'm going to make a beautiful ad for his company, Laughing God, Laughing Man Coffee. Can't wait. And actually showed him, like, giving a bro shake on the picture. What's a bro shake? So they're, like, where you uh, interlock the thumbs. Okay. And, and, like, put your hand around the other guy. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad the, the <laughs> fake hatchet is buried because they, I can't see it. Because they, they were never really fighting. No, I mean, those guys definitely got along well. I mean, they they definitely do care about each other. I mean, but it was, well, as much it was as always... as two celebrities can. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But <laughs> they probably care about themselves I think it was just fun because, like, they always, like, just kind of, like, play up the other person's character. Like, uh, Ryan Reynolds was always, like, trashing on Wolverine. And Hugh Jackman gave it just back just as hard, so... Yeah, I thought that was really funny in Deadpool too, where they had the uh, the little carousel that has Wolverine impaled on like a <laughs> um, on a bar. I did end up watching uh, Once Upon a Deadpool. Okay, how was it? Good and bad because they did cut it down to make the PG thirteen rating. Mm-hmm. So they what they ended up cutting out was a lot of the extra blood. There's the scene in the orphanage toward the end where Domino's kicking everybody's at, like all the little pedophile fucking mm-hmm. nurses or whatever, and just kicking the shit out of them. And, like, the one guy lands on the bed, and then, like, the 
lockers like fall over and like decapitate him. So like they cut cut away like that part. And so it was a lot of that kind of stuff, which I get why they did it, but it just felt like it was missing something. Okay. But but then they added all the Fred Savage stuff. So this is what I'm actually interested in was the Fred Savage stuff. The Fred Savage stuff is so fucking good. Like it's worth watching just for that. Okay. Can you give me something that wasn't in a commercial? I don't know how many commercials you saw. I saw Uh, a few. um, I saw a few. Because basically it turns out like Deadpool like kidnapped him. Right. Um, Has his feet duct taped and everything. Yeah, there's like duct tape to the bed. And they do a lot of play off that stuff. There's the scene where they're talking about the lazy riding with Cable. And then like they do a fourth wall break with Fred Savage. It's like... So you knew it was lazy writing and you still wrote it in as lazy writing. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a lot of fourth wall breaks like that that were really great. Okay. That sounds like fun. I'm definitely going to check it out. How did you watch it? Was it? I uh, rented it on a red box. Okay. So they're selling this separate then. So it's out on video now. So Okay. So what is this you got about John Cryer playing Lex Luthor? So it's just announced uh, season four, they hired John Cryer to play Lex Luthor in Supergirl. He's been incarcerated like throughout the show and they've talked yeah. about him being incarcerated. Because Lana Luthor is his sister. Right. And they wrote a part for him like the people that wrote it only wanted john crier for this interesting and he is officially signed on for it it'll be in season four and basically what i've read and just watched this little video the only thing that they've announced so far is that they're going to try and pull uh was it alana uh-huh they're trying to pull her alliance away from Supergirl onto Lex Luthor's side. Yeah, they're always. That's one of the things I haven't really enjoyed about the show is that they keep doing this thing where they're like, she's good, but they keep going like, but she could be evil because she's a Luther. And it's like, dude, this is in really poor taste. Like, stop doing this over and over again. Oh, they're all in on it now. I, they've always been all in. <laughs> they've never stopped being all in on that. Uh, I gotta say, John Cryer doesn't jump out to me as like somebody who should play Lex Luthor. You know, I, my gut reaction was it feels that, like but Jesse then like Eisenberg. But then looking at it, oh, you want Jesse Eisenberg? No, it feels <laughs> like Jesse Eisenberg because he's like this skinny, like, and it's not even so much about his build, but it's about his voice and stuff. He just seems like a nerd. Now I want you to look at this picture. I mean, I understand he's trying to look tough and he's got a beard, but... It looks way better than fucking Jesse Eisenberg. I'm not debating that. Dude, (laughs) Jesse Eisenberg, in my opinion... I've said it on the show before, I'll say it again. He was, hands down, the worst supervillain portrayal I've ever seen. Nobody comes close to that. The Joker was so bad with Jared Leto, and yet... When it came out, I couldn't say it was the worst superhero performance I'd seen because I'd already seen Jesse Eisenberg as yeah. Lex Luthor. It's so fucking bad. The red capes are coming. Mm. But John Cryer, he's got that like kind of high, nerdy, nasally voice. And I just can't see like him pulling off Lex. I don't see what the writers are seeing in this, but I don't know. Maybe surprises me. You know, me. he is really toned down that really high-pitched, nasally voice in the last few years. Like, since he's done the two and a half men. So you don't think it's them, like, doubling down for, like, BVS and I, being like, we're going to have, like, a really shitty Lex Luthor that matches the other shitty Lex Luthor. Because, God, that's so bad. <laughs> I see that you want to like pull for John Cryer here. So I, you know, let me be clear. I hope he's good. I do hope he's good. I wish him no ill will. John Cryer's never, I I don't hate John Cryer, you know, but you know, and I, I actually applaud the fact that they wrote the part for John Cryer with him in mind. I think that was a good move when they wrote 
the fucking Lex Luthor for Batman v Superman. Zack Snyder said he was casting Jesse Eisenberg because he want like nobody would expect Jesse Eisenberg to be Lex Luthor and he wanted to subvert expectations. Way to go, dude. You subverted you did him it. so much that you got a giant backlash because he's fucking terrible. Yeah. And especially some of the people they fucking passed over to get to fucking Jesse Brian Cranston, Brian Cranston, Denzel Washington. Those are the two I really remember. Yeah, and I either think of them would have been a spectacular Lex. Brian Luther. Cranston would have been fucking great. I will say in this particular case, while I I wouldn't say no to a black Lex Luthor, I do think he works better as a white guy because he's such a privileged douchebag. Yeah, that you I know, think I, it makes more sense as a white guy. But even then, I would still like if you were like would, we got a Denzel Washington and Lex. Luther, I'd be like, fuck yeah, because I still think he'd it's be like, awesome. Okay, man. we've got Jesse Eisenberg or Denzel Washington. You're like, fucking Denzel Washington. Yeah, what? That's not Denzel. even a toy. Yeah. If you were like, okay, we got uh, like Dakota Fanning. We got Dakota Fanning or Jesse Eisenberg. At this point, I'd take Dakota Fanning because maybe she <laughs> could pull some up. We've already seen Jesse Eisenberg. Total fucking failure is Lex Luthor. To be honest, I don't have anything against Jesse Eisenberg. He wasn't for that role. Yeah. Like, I there's don't have lot anything there. against him either. Like, we're just. I mean, I fucking love Zombieland. Dude, too. yeah, we were just like totally hating and loving. Jesse Eisenberg, but it was, it's just every part of He's that wrong was for the part. Yeah, he was wrong for the part, clearly. And I mean, that's nothing against Jesse Eisenberg. And people that are like hating him in real life because of it, there's so many other, that shit off. There's so many other reasons to hate Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> <laughs> what about his magician movies? You know what I mean? Now you see me. <laughs> I kind of enjoyed him. Just what about Now You See Me too? <laughs> I kind of liked it. <laughs> I've never actually seen either of them. I just saw the commercial and I was like, nope. I mean, there's way better magician movies. Such as? The Prestige. Oh, yeah. That's a fucking great movie. <laughs> I fucking love that movie. Yeah, that's a great movie, man. Christopher Nolan did The Prestige, right? Yeah, he did. He also did some Batman movies that were great. This is another a Batman one movie. One or two, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. They're all great. We love you. <laughs> well, Matt Reeves announced that the Batman will be a younger Batman played by somebody younger than Ben Affleck. It's Matt too- Damon? Maybe. <laughs> it's it, like, yeah, he was born five minutes before Ben Affleck. <laughs> I, I actually read a meme. I read twins. a meme today that why uh, Matt Damon should be Batman. Why is that? Because he's a better actor than Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Anything he does is slightly better. And at the very end, he can walk up to Ben Affleck and say, "How do you like them apples?" <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's due out in June twenty fifth, two thousand twenty one. And Matt Reeves said, it's very much a point of view-driven noir Batman tale. It's told very squarely on his shoulders, and I hope it's going to be a story that's thrilling but also emotional. It's more Batman in his detective mode than we've seen in the films. By the way, every time they go to put out a new Batman movie, they talk about how they explore the detective side more. It's never true. And the studio never well, fucking true. I think they try, and I think the studios really subvert that shit. Maybe. But I don't. I'll believe it when I see it let me put it that way oh yeah uh he said the comics have a history of that he's supposed to be the world's greatest detective and that's not necessarily been a part of what the movies have been i love this one to be where we go on that journey of tracking down the criminals and trying to solve a crime it's it's going to allow his character to have an arc so that he can go through a transformation so it sounds like we're getting an early batman movie so how young are we casting batman we're not going like gotham young are we (laughs) like an eight-year-old god no. <laughs> you know, it's got to be, if you're looking for the right Batman, he's got to be 23, 22-ish. Like, somebody that could have gone through college and graduated college. So you think they're going to go that young? You know, I wouldn't go any younger. And it's... I, I almost suspect, like, how old is Ben Affleck now? He's older than us, right? Like, he's yeah. in his 40s. I say so he's like, probably like forty-five. You don't think there. they're maybe gonna go with like a thirty-year-old Batman? I mean, they're probably gonna get a thirty-year-old Batman playing a twenty-two-year-old. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> That's a real good point. Let's I mean, go it's Zach. no worse than fucking Andrew Garfield playing Spider-Man. <laughs> Let's go with Zac Efron as Batman, dude. 
I mean, he's Ted Bundy. <laughs> Why not? I guess he fucking kills it as Ted Bundy. Does he? That's not out yet, right? That one's not out yet. Yeah. It's supposed to come out in the next couple of weeks, I guess. I think that's why Netflix jumped on those uh, Ted Bundy. Ted tapes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had no interest in watching it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I kind of had an interest in watching it, but I wasn't going to. <laughs> My wife did all the watching for me. My wife definitely watched She's watched the Ted Bundy tapes. Yeah, our tapes, dude. Into Rape Murder. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I listened to your podcast last week talking about that. Like, my wife's the same. Like, actually, she's a little better than that because she will watch some of the stuff that's based on the true crime stuff. She'll watch the scripted stuff. Yeah. But then, like, we were watching uh, Mine Hunters. Oh, she, my wife fucking ate that up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. My wife hated that show and I loved it. Yeah, I haven't. That's one of those ones I keep meaning to watch, but I haven't gotten around to it. It's a pretty good show. I think I burned myself out on serial killers when I was young. I, I really did. I don't, I can't explain it, but from like middle school to high school, I read so much on like serial killers, like not to an unhealthy degree. I wasn't like marking it. Like I wasn't like going through and marking pages and then like putting string tape on a map trying to figure <laughs> out shit or like any of that. <laughs> I wasn't doing that or like Xerox and copies of stuff and like painting it up on the bulletin board like obsessively. I didn't get to that level, but I did like read a lot of stuff on serial killers. I think because I feel like when we're in middle school is when Jeffrey Dahmer got caught. Does that sound right? Like late middle school, early high school like somewhere around then i got very obsessed with it and so i read on a lot of stuff and it was like my wife was watching the ted bundy tapes and i was like oh yeah is this when he escaped and she's like what don't spoil for me i'm like this is somebody's real life how do you not know this about ted bundy like that's if you know anything about ted bundy it's like there's like three things that come up over and over again he's handsome they always like to bring that up he's smart they always like to bring that up uh charismatic as fuck yeah and they always bring up that uh he escaped a couple of times and that like he'd wear like a, a bandage on his nose like those were all things that i heard all the time you know anyway i just burned out on serial killers <laughs> yeah i think the last serial killer stuff i read was on ed gein yeah i read an ed gein book too i wonder if we read the same uh, book. i'm sure it was because i think we got it from greg <laughs> yeah so. yeah yeah i definitely got mine from greg dude ed gein i i like to bring up he was and that was probably the last serial killer thing i read but uh he was the inspiration in very different ways for very different horror movies. Like he was the inspiration for Norman Bates and Psycho, yeah. with with the whole mother thing. Yeah, he was the inspiration for Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre because of the making things out of body parts. Yeah, and, and he was, wearing skin and that kind of well, stuff. well, and the wearing yeah, and the wearing people suits was. Uh, Inspired by Ed Gein for uh, Buffalo Bill and uh, Silence of the Lambs. So that's like fucking three legendary villains right there all wrapped up by Ed Gein. Thanks, Ed Gein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Fuck you, dude. Sick fuck. <laughs> by the way, Ed Gein calling him a serial killer. That's like the biggest technicality on serial killer. He only killed two people. I'm not saying that like what like he get, did was getting your numbers up or anything, but like them rookie numbers. <laughs> You gotta yeah, pump that shit kinda. up. He did a lot of grave robbing is the thing. Yeah, he did a lot of grave robbing and like uh, corpse mutilation and that kind of stuff. Yeah, like the stuff you hear about after you kill somebody normally. But he went to a graveyard and dug up somebody like a goodly person would do, you know? <laughs> and then he happened to kill two people kind of in the same fashion. Whatever, dude. Let's not get bogged down with the details here. Ed Gein, model American. Anyway... <laughs> He's from Wisconsin. Them's a red state. That's right. Trump supporter. Now, I mean, God, that shit happened in the 50s, wasn't it? it was yeah, like, some like late 50s, maybe early 60s. Yeah, I know it was like right when the mass media started to co- coalesce. So he was like the first serial killer in mass media, which is why he's so famous, I think. Uh, moving on to more superhero news. <laughs> <laughs> How do we go from Lex Luthor to Ed Gein? Well, there's Batman in between. How we went from Batman to Ed Gein, I have no fucking idea. 
anyway. uh, the DCEU is trying to get James Wan to sign on for Aquaman 2. He has said he wants to do it, but he's taking a break right now and he's waiting until he sees a good script. I love this dude because James Wan isn't writing like these movies. So he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to fucking chill out over here until you give me a good script. Like, I think that's kind of the message. Yeah. It's like, don't fucking rush something in a production. Get me something good. And like... He's in a position where he can do that because they he's standing were, on a fucking pile of a billion dollars. Like, yeah, dude, give me something good and I'll make it. Most profitable DC movie ever. Who would have fucking thought that at any Aquaman. point? <laughs> Aquaman. Jason Momoa. Do you think he'll make more money than any other DCEU hero? Oh yeah, like the cool. Who would have thought? Fucking Aquaman would outperform Batman. Yeah, that's crazy. Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman in the same movie. Batman, Super, Wonder Woman, all of that in the same movie. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, That plum wine that Brandon made and this random beer that I picked up are going to my head now. Dude, that plum wine I made was, uh, that's some strong fucking shit. Strong fucking shit, yeah. It's good. Now I'm like, yeah. Now I'm like washing it down with a porter. There's something fucking wrong with me, dude. <laughs> that's an odd changeup. Of course, I wash it down with an IPA. So, well, that's the news I got. Well, let's cut to. I, I saw I saw glass. So why don't we cut to my reviews that I did in a separate studio? So the first movie I'm going to review today is Glass. Of course, that's M. Night Shyamalan's new movie, which is the third from the Unbreakable trilogy now, I guess. I guess I guess it's the Unbreakable trilogy. It's kind of weird because it started out with Disney, and then I think he did split with MGM, and then this one was a joint production between the two. So I don't know that we've ever seen that before. Uh, Disney and MGM working together. There are studios that kind of pool their resources, so that they can sort of half the risk and still, you know, hopefully get a profit. This is the first time that MGM and Disney specifically have worked together. Uh, no, it's not MGM. I'm sorry, Universal. But it's the first time they work together because they compete in a lot of areas, including amusement parks, which is fantastic. This movie, I'm going to try to not spoil. In fact, I know Brandon wants to watch it at some point. So in a future episode, when he's seen it, we will do a spoilerific review of it because there's really stuff I want to dive into that I just don't want to ruin it for people. But essentially what this movie is, is it starts out as what you would expect the superhero sequel to be right like you have um david dunn bruce willis's character he's trying to find the horde which is james mcavoy's character uh he's searching through the city his son's kind of helping him and he's sort of like the oracle for batman like he's the guy behind the computer you know <laughs> like in spider-man homecoming they talk about the guy behind the computer uh that's what his son is for him and they do a really interesting thing in this movie which i found out later they took scenes from the original Unbreakable movie that were never used and never shown. I don't think they were even on bonus footage. And it's with his son, like this interaction he has with his son, and then they put it back into this movie. So they kept the same actor who is the child actor in those scenes. So I'm watching, I'm like, holy shit, that is uncanny how much they look like. And the more I watched it, I was like, and sort of looking at Bruce Willis aged down. And I know it wasn't the biggest budgeted movie. In fact, I think it was like 20 mil and uh, it was all put up by M. Night Shyamalan. And he made his money back at least five times already. But he like put a lien against his house because he felt like he had to be a little bit fearful in his filmmaking. That's the only way he can make a good film. I guess he did that with Split as well. So it's working because he had a real shitty period for a while. And uh, I really liked the last two movies. Of course, he's going back to the well of what's worked already, so that might have something to do with it. But still, you know, sometimes when you go back to the well, it's uh, dirty water and doesn't work so much. So I know I had a point with all of this. Uh, his son, right. So they have these scenes where he's talking to his son, and his son's kind of helping him guide him through the city. Eventually, they find the horde, and they have this big battle where the horde is kidnapped a couple more teenagers Uh, if you remember split of course you know he that was his mo in that movie and it plays out much like you would think a superhero movie would play out then it hits to everything you've seen in the trailers which is essentially they get captured they wind up in a mental institution 
and Mr. Glass is in there, played by Samuel L. Jackson. And now this movie has taken a turn where essentially she is trying to convince them that they are insane. And they're pushing back, but at least two of the three are wondering if they actually are insane, if they're just trying to seem special, even though their powers can be explained normally. It dives into the question of why do we like superheroes? Not in the way the Watchmen does, where it's like the thesis of the Watchmen is you you can't trust somebody who would put on spandex and fight crime because clearly they're broken people, right? This movie does it in a very different way. It's just exploring the general meaning of like why we put so much stock into these superpowered beings beating the crap out of each other and coming from these tragic... Um, backgrounds and kind of overcoming it it's hard to talk about this movie much further without spoiling it so what i'm gonna say is i liked it i felt like it was the least of the three but i still found it very interesting very worthwhile um i really like split and i really like unbreakable so i would say definitely check this one out if you're a fan of either of those two movies and by the way you really should see both of them before you watch this they probably do it in a way where you can follow it if not but i just feel like there's too much thematically that's going on that you're gonna miss if you don't watch those movies so if you're unaware that glass is a sequel to uh, unbreakable which is part one and split which is part two you really should check out those movies ahead of time but yeah, I would check it out. It's M. Night Shyamalan, so of course it has a twist, but it's a soft twist, and I don't want to get into it, because it's not really surprising when you watch it, but it, it works for the story, I would say. So let's get into some movies that are up for some Oscars. I promised you guys I was going to review Vice, and I saw it right after I recorded last week, so let's jump into it. I love this movie. <laughs> this movie is so great. It was one of the best movies I saw all year. It follows Dick Cheney, but it is done in the funniest way I've ever seen a biopic done, which makes sense because it's Adam McKay who made Anchorman, but it, it's intelligent humor. And it's just, it's crazy. I, the only thing I can compare it to is if you've ever seen the movie Nixon, which I believe came out in the 90s and it had... Uh, Anthony Hopkins playing Richard Nixon. We have these weird trippy scenes. I remember this this one scene where like Nixon is talking about the Vietnam War and how they can't they can't give up, they can't give an inch. And while he's doing it, he's like cutting the steak and as he's going on and on about how we can't pull out of Vietnam, the steak is bleeding and the blood just spills out from his plate all over the table and it's like dripping off the table and it's just like there's blood all over his hands, all over everything. It was really trippy. So it reminds me of that, but done in a very humorous way. It, it's just hilarious. Let, let me give an example. There, there's one, okay, there's one I'm going to say, and it's kind of a spoiler, but dude, it's a biopic, so is it really a spoiler? So if you don't want to hear this, just scan ahead a minute. Essentially, there's a narrator who's played by Jesse Plemons, and Jesse Plemons is, talks at the beginning about how he's related to Dick Cheney in a way. And He's given us the whole story. He's laying it out for us. And he's doing it from his living room with the beer watching TV and kind of like holding his kid and doing stuff with his wife. Like he's just kind of an average Joe as he's telling this story. And then at a certain point, Dick Cheney's heart gives out for like the sixth time, I think. And some of them are played for comedy, like honestly, because it's just something he goes through constantly. But the last time is the one where like it looks like it's going to kill him. And so just like... His wife, come, like Lynn Cheney, comes in and she's really the overbearing one in the in this. Um, not overbearing, but I guess the one who's the most in control. Okay, because those two are really about control. I feel like, and uh, Lynn Cheney's telling him he can't die, and he kind of looks at his daughters and he says, "Well, this is one time that I'm not going to be able to do what your mother wishes." And it's like kind of a sad scene as it plays out. And then so Jesse Plemons starts to talk. And in mid-sentence, he just gets smacked by a black SUV. And then they like put him on a stretcher and take out his heart. And then they put it right into Dick Cheney. So it's like even that moment, it, it just it just fucking killed me. They have another moment where um he finds out his daughter is a lesbian. And so he's like, well, 
that's the end of my presidential career. Like he was thinking about running for president when he finds out his daughter's a lesbian, he doesn't want her to get raked through the mud. So he's just like, I, that's it. It's over. And then they suddenly like, they do this thing where they, they put a print that says like Dick and Len were happily married for another 30 years. They raised a couple of award winning golden retrievers. And then like these credits just start to roll as if it's the end of the movie. And it's like halfway through the movie, you know, and then all of a sudden you realize like, no, they're going to, he's going to wind up being a vice president. By the way, Christian Bale, fucking incredible. It's not just the physical transformation that he goes through. Cause he does look just like Dick Cheney, but he sounds like Dick Cheney. He he moves like Dick Cheney, just like embodies that character, or that person. I, I say character, but he really embodies Dick Cheney. Um, Amy Adams is almost unrecognizable playing Lynn Cheney. It's crazy. Uh, Steve Carell vaguely looks like Donald Rumsfeld, but he's just he just fucking kills it in this and then like probably my favorite performance out of all the actors in this was sam rockwell playing george w bush it's just he gets that he gets that thing exactly right about bush which was like no matter how much you hated bush for his policies of which i did he's kind of a little slow on the uptake and seemed like a guy like they always said he seemed like a guy you could have a beer with which i always found funny because he's an aa so like you know he couldn't have a beer but they always say that about bush he does that perfect i mean when when Cheney is talking to him about being vice president, it's in the trailer, but it's much more extended out. The, Cheney's like talking to him and they kind of intercut it with him fly fishing and like putting the bait out and like catching this fish and clubbing it and shit like as he's like getting W to go along with this thing. But the way Sam Rockwell plays it is just, it's great. Like he just sort of hangs there and waits for Cheney to like say the things that he's going to say. And he's got this kind of half open mouth, but then he's also like, he's eating barbecue, like burnt ends. And he's like licking his fingers while he's talking to him. Like he's so clearly out of his element with Cheney. It's just like this movie, it, it absolutely shows you how awful that administration was it really talks about in in a way like how we've been through some of this stuff before with trump but i think it, it also really spotlights like there was a lot of people dying that aren't dying under trump and it's not a way to excuse anything or say we're better off but i think it was like pointing out it has been worse so keep perspective it's interesting and it's easier to say that as a white dude you know what i mean um I, I'm not watching white kids get put into cages. So, um, but if, if you just take it as a biopic, this is actually, it's a really funny movie. It's also an enraging movie at parts like walking through the Bush administration. Again, just reminding me how much stuff just really got to me. Um, but it's, it's really well done. Uh, every phase of it is good in this movie so i can see why it was nominated for so many awards definitely check out vice so i saw another movie up for best picture and many other awards a star is born so my wife and i went to the theater this morning and went and saw it we've been trying to go to this for months and we just finally pulled it off they're only doing like two showings a night right now at the theater they would even pulled it and brought it back i think because it was nominated for an oscar so it's had a hell of a run. So A Star is Born, uh, as as we talked about with Carl a while ago, it's the longest running star franchise. Just for context, they originally made it in 1937. Like, it's always the same plot, but the details are a little bit different. In the original, you have this director, and he meets an actress who's trying to become an extra but doesn't make it and he convinces her to go out for like a feature role and she becomes more famous than him uh he embarrasses her at the oscars and then commits suicide by drowning himself in the pacific ocean okay that was 1937 1954 you have the judy garland version it is now two actors and the other actor encourages 
Judy Garland's character to become an actor, blah, blah, blah. They go to the Oscars. He embarrasses her and tells her, like, they should have awards for worst actress or something like that. I think he drowns himself in that one as well. Then in 1976, they had it. Uh, was the most recent remake before this one. Uh, that one had Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand, and they switched the idea instead of being a director and an actress or an actor and an actress. This time it's two musicians, right? Same setup, except they, instead of having him kill himself, he's drunk and he crashes his motorcycle at the end. Uh, this one, it is two musicians again. I got to say, I've, I've seen the 76 version. I kind of liked it when I was in high school a little bit. It was kind of embarrassing to me, but I, I did. I, I liked it because I play music and uh, I understand that egotism that sort of goes with it. It's fascinating to me. I don't know. This kind of stuff is fascinating to me. And there's a reason why this story has been remade over and over again. Like it, it's it's a story that works. But in this incarnation, you essentially have this musician who has a real bad problem with drugs and alcohol, right? Like kind of standard fare. Um, he sees Lady Gaga is playing a character named Allie. And this, uh, what's she at? She's, she's at a, um, she's at a bar with, uh, like a drag show. She's at a drag show. Okay. And this is the first time we see her in makeup and very quickly it all goes, um, after the show. And of course he's stricken with her right away. She pretty much goes without makeup until the last third of the movie. And then it's pretty much when she's like, on stage and things like that they make her up a bit i think because it, it kind of shows the difference in what they're doing with her image it it works in this movie like and i'll be honest i never really particularly found lady gaga attractive like she is just the thing she does with just her eyes in this movie like it it kind of melted my heart i i ran you through the basic plot already right like it hits all those beats but it does it with a modern sensibility instead of doing a montage of showing her getting more famous they put her on snl and have her performing on snl like it makes sense right i i thought it was really well done in every aspect bradley cooper just does a great job in it just kind of being like a mumbled burnt out uh star lady gaga is incredible and i she i did not think she was gonna do great in this movie i really did not and then i started hearing the buzz was like okay i should check it out but she kills it in this movie she's amazing sam elliott got nominated for an oscar in this movie along with uh cooper and gaga do i say gaga like it's her name <laughs> it's so weird do people call her lady in conversation Eh, it's bizarre. It's bizarre when you have that that stage name. But Sam Elliott does a really good job in it. And he kind of does his usual thing where he dispenses some wisdom and has an awesome mustache. But he also has a very emotional scene at the end. And I don't, I'm sure he's done it, but I don't know that I've seen Sam Elliott you know, get teary-eyed in a movie before. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think, even in The Mask, that's a really sad movie. But he's just like, well, we better go on a motorcycle ride, Cher. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's not even crying in that. So, like, he showed vulnerability that I haven't seen before. Um, Andrew Dice Clay, fucking weird. Like, he's really turned around his career from, like, being the sexist, like, douchebag uh, comedian that he was for so long. He's, like, turned out and done pretty well in the last couple of movies he's done like he's been in a couple oscar nominated things now and it's it's kind of incredible he just does these little bit parts and does really well he just kind of stays in his wheelhouse um dave Chappelle is in this dude i had no idea that dave Chappelle was in this movie uh he's in this one scene and i'm i'm not gonna really get into it but he's just sort of supposed to be an old friend I, I've read he's supposed to be his drummer, but they really don't cover it in the movie. And uh, he does a good job of, like, grounding, helping ground, like, who the Cooper's character was before he fell as far as he has. Because this is a dude, like, at the end of his rope, right? Like, his story is pretty much played out. And so Dave Chappelle does a good job of, like, trying to play this character. He's, like, pulling him back a little bit. Like, he's only in, like, five minutes of the movie, but he does a really good job. Uh, Dave Chappelle's in a, in a best picture nominated movie. Like, it's fucking awesome. Who would have thought that? <laughs> He's killing it. It's a star is born. Like I saw it with my wife and we were like holding hands the whole time. And then like 
at a certain point, I started getting teary-eyed, and then I was just like, oh, God, because I like cry at movies a lot, and I kind of looked over because I was waiting for my wife to kind of laugh at me, and dude, tears are just streaming like twice as hard out of her eyes as they were in mine. And the part in particular that really got us both was Lady Gaga like sings at the end sort of a tribute to to her husband right who who had committed suicide and i was watching it was just like jesus this is so like raw and real when i was watching it turns out i just read a couple of minutes ago um when she was performing this in real life she had just found out minutes ago that her friend had died the fact that she was able to even pull that off on camera is incredible, but like those tears were real and it really like plays across to it. It reminds you of how the camera can catch things and really affect your moods, you know? Definitely check out A Star is Born. It's a great date movie. Like it's a fucking great date movie. Unless you have a drug and alcohol problem, then I would recommend not seeing this one. <laughs> <laughs> stay away. Hard stay away if you have a drinking problem. Uh, let's see what else. I, I did did watch three of the five documentary short subjects that are up for Oscars. Uh, because these are the three that are easily watched online. So I'm going to tell you where you can watch all three of them. First one is Endgame. That's on Netflix. Uh, Endgame is it's about 40 minutes long. This is the longest of the three, I think. And it basically follows people at a hospital who are terminal patients, okay? And so it really shows what families go through and a little bit of what that person is going through um, preparing for the end of their life. And this was a thing that I watched it and it even got me a little bit. Like I was watching it this morning. I like crawled back into bed and like hugged my wife and stuff because I got all emotional. Uh, fortunately, she didn't see tears leaking from my eyes. That Dude, you can only cry so much in a day and not have your wife think you're a complete pussy. You know what I mean? But I did that this morning. Um, but Endgame, I, I do think... Uh, I didn't get quite as much out of it as I think a lot of people would get because I did work with people at the end of their lives for a long time. For about 15 years, I worked with people at retirement homes uh, for the better part of 15 years. And so I intrinsically understood a lot of this stuff, although... Some parts did get me because it was more from the family's point of view, whereas like I was a caregiver's point of view. So it, it's different. You know, you get a little more clinical with people. You try and help them out all you can, but it will fucking murder you if you get destroyed with each person you take care of, you know. And so I would recommend people watch that because it really gives you an accurate description of what it's like towards the end for people because dying doesn't just happen like it's a process and it takes a while. And I think if you fear death, this is a really good one to watch because it will help you face it and understand. Like a lot of that stuff is like you have to understand what's happening and it's not so bad. So I would, would check out Endgame for sure. Uh, Black Sheep, that's on the Guardians website, like the, you know, the news, news organization. Uh, this is a British, uh, short doc that Follows this guy who is, his family is from Liberia and they settled somewhere in the UK. And one day he was coming home from school and a couple blocks away this Liberian kid was killed for being Liberian essentially. And so his parents were like, fuck that, we're moving out. And so they went to this other neighborhood. And so the first thing that happens after they load up the car... The kid goes for a walk, and it's the adult talking about it, but they do a little bit of dramatization, but it's like uh, him narrating over it, so it, it works the way that they do it. And he comes walking home, and somebody immediately drops the N-word. And then a little bit later, he just gets the shit kicked out of him. Like, the kid challenges him to a fight. He shows up at this big field for the fight, and, like, ten kid, white kids surround him and just beat the crap out of him, tell him to go back to where he's from. Uh, eventually he just, just to survive, essentially, he becomes obsessed with being exactly like they are. So he saves up all his allowance. He buys clothes just like they are. He starts bleaching his skin and then he starts putting in blue contacts, just anything to look more like him. Eventually they accept him, but then he's doing the awful violent things that they're doing. Um, they wind up in this, like, 
basically chasing off two other black kids and he joins in it because he's got to stay with it. it it's really gut-wrenching like watching the machinations of just everybody around you judging you for the color of your skin and just trying to survive that and the things that you have to do to survive that it's it's really gut-wrenching so check check out that short um and then the final one i was able to look at is a night at the garden you can watch that one at nightatthegarden.com i think it's on youtube as well uh, this one is really easy that black sheep one is like 17 minutes i think end game is 40 minutes this one is like they rushed out their homework it's very powerful it's only seven minutes though uh, a night at the garden is essentially they took this film that somebody had taken from madison square garden in 1939 so this is before we got into world war ii and they have this giant rally for nazis essentially and they like start out by doing the national anthem and they're all kind of laughing and then the guy is like who's dressed up basically like hitler and he's talking to the crowd and whipping them in a fervor. And he's talking about how the Jewish-run media says that I have cloven hooves and all this stuff. And he's kind of getting some laughter. And then this Jewish guy runs out on stage. Um, I don't know what he's doing prior to protest him somehow. And they just beat the living shit out of him on the stage. And then they, like, the cops haul him off. And then they're, like, beating him as they're hauling off. It's really awful and then they come back to like sort of just talking about america and how great it is and blah 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 and then like that's it and they just edit all of this into like this little seven minute thing and it really fucks with you because you look at it and it's like fuck we were so close to like hitting that tipping point and i think we're like right there again when you look at everything that happened with charlottesville and all those things like we're not on that nazi tip but we're not removed from it either. And things like this are a really good reminder that you have to stay vigilant against this stuff and be aware that it's happening and be pointing it out when it's happening, you know, because um, it's out there. It's happening for sure. Uh, so, yeah, seven minutes, a very powerful seven minutes without any commentary. The only thing they really do is they make their choices through the editing. This is probably like a couple hour thing that happened. They've got it down to seven minutes. And when they're beating the shit out of a guy, they're playing very low music. I could only attribute to a band like Nine Inch Nails. Like it very much sounds very gravelly and dissonant. Um, so, you know, there's a commentary running through that, the way the filmmaker does it and edits it. But that's really it. There's no narration over it. They use the words from the footage. These were really good shorts, I gotta say. I have watched documentary short subjects before, and sometimes they're just like, oh my god. Like, they're hard to get through sometimes. Uh, three out of the five are fucking gold. The other two, not easily accessible on the internet, so I will get to them if I can. But right now, I, I didn't have a chance. I was like, hey, what if I knocked out all five of these for the show? Couldn't do it. There's still two I'm missing, so I will continue to look and uh, pay for them if I have to. You know what? There's one that Netflix straight up has. I think it's period, end of sentence. Okay, and that's it's something about, um, like, in some country... They built the tampon machine in a bathroom, and these women are making money off of it. And I think it's about that. Netflix has it. The only thing you can find is, like, a trailer for it, but it's a 27-minute long movie. Everywhere I look, it's not that movie. So I'm just like, what are you doing, Netflix? Like, you have the rights to it, but you're not putting it out when it's up for an Oscar, when you can have people watch it and sort of get the ball rolling and get a conversation started with it. Doesn't make sense to me. But I think Netflix is more concentrating on Roma right now, you know? Anyway, those are the reviews I'm going to hit. Take it easy. We are probably going to change the name of the show, as I was saying last week, to Pop Culture Consumption. It's Brandon's thought. <laughs> we're, I, I insisted on a name change, and we racked our brains, and Brandon came up with Pop Culture Consumption. So I will try to keep it the same in the feed, but if you don't see a show up next week, then you got to look up Pop Culture Consumption, and it'll be there. But not until around the time the episode runs. <laughs> so...
Maybe I'll get this episode up. If it's a separate feed, I'll try and get this one up so that you can subscribe to it. But <clears throat> one way or the other, if you don't see Montuggy Skies changing its name to pop culture consumption, you know what to do, right? Do it. Yeah, do it. <laughs> do it. Do that's, it. That's the emperor. Do it. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to the Not Safer Network. Check out one of our many other shows, Charles Orr Horror Show, Geek Lantern's Light, Movies with Wrestlers, Real Roulette, The Alien Movie Project, Montucky Skies, and We Had a Good Life.